welcome to episode 15 of That Round It podcast. Today, me and Gavin are joined by Frederick Hinkle for his part two on the pod. And unfortunately, Mike couldn't make it this week. And it might so happen that throughout the year, one of us might not be able to make a recording. But with all that said, I hope you guys enjoy the pod just as much as me, Gavin and Fred did on this week's episode. All right, and what is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of That Roundnet Podcast. Today, we are joined once again by Mr. Frederick Hinkle, and we're going to be talking a little bit about mindset. So as the team double clutch implies, uh, Fred and Raul are, have a track record of being pretty clutch and pretty crazy moments where they'll come back from a small deficit, maybe even a big deficit. And those are the kinds of topics that we'll be talking about today and how Fred kind of navigates those situations. So uh, Fred, we had Spikeball Tour Series California, the first major of the season. So we want to talk a little bit about that. Um, first and foremost, how did you feel about it? coming in first so place. first and foremost welcome back this is a part two your second appearance on the podcast cool to have you back yeah i'm happy to be here always a good time i enjoyed the last one i'm ready to enjoy another <laughs> yeah but talk, so getting straight into the challenger this past weekend in san francisco or i don't know if it was actually in san francisco right it was a little bit northish of san francisco i don't really know that area too well but it, yeah close enough for me san francisco-esque <laughs> um yep. Yep. going into the day we were Coming off of kind of a brutal showing in Atlanta where neither of us were really happy with how we played, uh, we went home and we played uh, a best of five with Weiss Bike Synergy. And we probably played even worse that day and we were pretty concerned. So we said, let's play again. And we played a best of three with Weiss Bike Boy McGuire and we got absolutely killed. It was like 2012, 2014. So going into California, we were sitting here thinking, oh, this is going to be great. You know, we've played terribly all week, we played terribly last week. So it was, it was kind of what's going to happen when we get there. And we got there and game one started and we both immediately started landing serves and never stopped. So that's kind of the story of San Francisco from my end. It's funny that we've, um, this throughout, the, throughout this season for you guys, it's been a little bit up and down. I mean, a lot more up and down, I'm guessing you guys expected. But obviously, Orlando, right, obviously didn't get to finish. Richmond, quarters, then winning in Dallas, and then quarters in the USA a qualifier event and then winning San Francisco like I mean that is a bit of an up and down season already and we're only you know a quarter of a third of the way into the season yeah impressive that you guys ended up winning the San Francisco and being the first major of the year and awesome that you got such competition you know you could go back to Texas and play these great great elite level teams that you know not too many other teams uh, have a chance to definitely a massive advantage that Texas seems to have right now and a couple of other states the top players in um, but you mentioned about your serves landing all day was that just that feeling as soon as you came into the tournament first game serves landing if you know your serves are landing at the start of the day and you can just bring that momentum into the whole tournament do you feel you get that same feeling in most of the tournaments that you guys perform well at or is other tournaments you know you've grown into yeah, I think, it, I think it varies a little bit. In Orlando, neither of us started out landing quality serves. And then as the day progressed, we found better and better serves. So actually, when that tournament got called, uh, we, were, we were both serving extremely well. We never really found it in Richmond. I, I, I think most of it is just how much practice I have going into the event. So I didn't initially find it game one in Dallas, but I found it shortly thereafter, uh, just because I'd been practicing so much leading up to the event, as opposed to the qualifier or Richmond, where I, I likely didn't practice enough. Uh, Rahul certainly didn't practice enough prior to those events. So I think it's just a matter of us being informed, uh, kind of prepared, those local reps. Those mm -hmm. local reps. So Fred, from, from the perspective of 
having the outing in quarterfinals and USA round uh, the qualifier. And then after that, going and playing those games at home in which you didn't perform so well. Do you think there was kind of an expectation? I, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, that there was an expectation that you weren't going to do too well at this most recent San Francisco. Um, so do you think that the kind, kind of having that mindset took the weight off of your shoulders to not have to perform well? Because you have kind of all these guys that you that play at a very high level, you played them at home and did do well. And then you have that out where it's like, hey, we didn't perform well because we didn't perform well at the last one. And we didn't do well during this during pickup this week. So that we, sh- we should have an excuse to not do well at this. Do you think that brought something off your shoulders? Or do you think, I don't know. So personally, I, I think it's interesting. We played best last year when Rahul was unconfident. When we went into Seattle, Rahul was very unconfident that we were going to win. Uh, he, he knew that he was good, but wasn't sure how good Gross gave these other players were. Going into Nationals, we knew Sloppy had beaten us. We had seen the serves from Ryder. We knew that we had reason to be concerned. And Rahul played exceptionally well. Uh, very concerned that we would not be the best team. I think generally I have to just resolve myself to win. If, if I can find the, the resolve to sit there and commit and say, we're going to win this event, let's, let's get it done. And Rahul's playing with a little bit less confidence than you know I may play with. We, we tend to play our best. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because we take the game more seriously. We're focused in and making sure that we're doing everything we can. We're giving all the effort we, we possibly could. Uh, I think there's a big part of that. So to some degree, what you're saying, yes, I don't view it so much from the pressure standpoint. I think of it more of just our own confidence and giving a full effort. So from my perspective, it looks like a lot, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but, but a lot of the top teams or some of the top teams that perform the best seem to have kind of like a steady man. And then they have uh, an outbreak performer that just does exceptionally well, not necessarily under pressure, but can play with a very, very high ceiling. And it seems like for double clutch, regardless of you, like you guys play at a very high level, both of you, but it seems like you're the steady man who can communicate well with Raul and you can be there to have that. We're going to win mentality. And then Raul, just if he's there, he'll play at a very, very high, high level. Is that correct? Or do you think that? I think mentality wise, I think I'm definitely the steady man. I mean, a good portion of my job day of is uh, make sure that Rahul stays on task, make sure that Rahul doesn't get too upset, make sure that he's focusing on his setting and choosing the right shots. Uh, I think that's one thing that killed us in Atlanta. I kind of got very upset. And when I got upset, Rahul you know, went in turn and, and started playing a little bit worse than he would have liked to. And that made me play worse. And you know, the spiral begins as opposed to uh, San Francisco, where I played consistently and I, I kept a level head and we we played really well together. I was able to keep Rahul level-headed, even when he was playing not to his own standards, which is not to say poorly, but not not where he wanted to play, if that makes sense. And we were able to keep the lid on and, and win. Speaking of keeping the lid on, there was a moment when Raul went to, I think you guys just barely lost the point. I, I, don't, I don't recall exactly what happened, but Raul went to kind of just nudge the set with his foot and you look at him and just the most, this most stern voice that I've ever <laughs> heard said, what are you doing, man? Are you trying to lose this game? Are you trying to get disqualified? And then he kind of like takes his foot off the set set. And then, and then you guys kind of continue, but they, everyone pulls the legs back into the, the set. And then, and then buddy makes a remark to the crowd and says, is that unsportsmanlike? So is yeah, that we, one of the, obviously one of those moments, but we had it in semis as well, where he goes to, to go after the net as well. And I, I sit there and I'm over his shoulder. No, 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 not right now. Not today. <laughs> let's, let's not do 
this here. <laughs> That's a pickup moment, not not right not now. Today, <laughs> you get four a year, and this ain't one of the times. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not right here in semis. Hey, let's get to finals first, and then we've, we've got some money. But <laughs> definitely not in semis. Let's let's win the whole thing. Now you can drop kick and do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah. So, no, but I think to that point, there's also the element of the performance aspect where. I may be the level-headed guy and I may be the consistent man mentally, but largely I am not the consistent player. Rahul is generally our steady player. He holds down the fort when it turns to let's play at a high level. He keeps me playing at a high level. I think I am very much the streaky one. When when we need to go off, when we need four or five breaks, it's probably going to be me um, that's going to kind of take the take the lead on driving a bunch of breaks home or clutching up in a big moment. But um yeah, I, d- I definitely have to provide the level head to give him the platform to play from. So I think that's all, especially your and Rahul's dynamic is very interesting. And I think the question a lot of people might potentially have is, you know, how can they adopt this in their, in their game? Say you're playing with a completely new partner, Frederick. Say, you know, you don't play with Rahul a tournament, gets injured or something. You play with someone new for a tournament. What's the first things you're asking yourself, asking of your teammate and assessing to get the most out of them during the tournament you're going to play in? When I played with Jacob, uh, Jacob Payer, initially Jacob Payer was this monster cut server, and I was clearly the role player on the team. I was not going to be taking all the breaks. It was going to be Jacob. And we had this understanding that if I was going to be useful and if I was going to provide value, I was going to make all the sets for him. I was going to make a lot of consistent, easy touches for him to play. And I was going to do my best to, to make defense uncomfortable for them in a way where he doesn't get too tired and he can feel comfortable swinging as hard as he can. My goal the entire day was make sure that Jacob feels comfortable playing his game, which is give me the ball. I'm going to rip it. It's going to be an ace. So I think it's really just know your partner's game, know how your partner's going to react to you playing and make sure that you're playing in a way that facilitates his game. If his game is let's play defense at a very high level. When I played with Dan, it was let's make sure our strategy is really good. Let's adjust. Every point. Abrams, let's discuss everything, saying, right? Yes, Dan Abrams, thank you. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Grant Laughlin, where it's, let's get Grant the ball. He needs to keep serving. So I think it's really just knowing your partner in that regard. And when you ask, how do you kind of facilitate that? It's, it's, do you know your partner's game? Do you know your own, you know, how you can best help them? And then in reverse, what are you then looking for your teammate? I mean, you'd hope that your teammate's doing the same thing for you, right? But what if they don't do that or they're not looking to potentially do that? How are you helping pushing them in the right direction so they know how to facilitate you? I guess for me, my goal for, facil- for you know, being facilitated is I want to make sure that they have confidence in me so that they can facilitate. I want to make sure that I'm killing the ball really effectively with my strong hand so that they know they have a place they can miss, if that makes sense. So for them to support me is to make supporting me very easy, which is I don't care where the set is. I just want height. Statements like this make you very easy to support or when you make statements along the lines of what serve should I be swinging for here? Do you want me to give this a rip or should I be playing defense with? So I I think there's a lot you can do as a player to sit there and give your partner an opportunity to help you play. I think a lot of this is making statements that build up your partner and not making statements like put on this one or just put a clean serve on the net or we need a clean serve, which is generally going to lead to a partner getting in his head and shanking. So I, I think a lot of this is really Make yourself a player that can be reasoned and worked with as opposed to somebody that is obtuse to play. 
It's it's funny because I I heard you say to Raul on his second serve several different times. Uh, if if the people listening aren't aware, uh, Ryder Riva put up on HDR Plus. There's mic'd up games for the I think both the semifinals and the finals from San Francisco. Shout out to him for putting those out there. And uh, in the finals game against assist, assistive touch, you can hear Fred multiple times second serve for Raul saying, "Don't get robbed." And it's such a small variation of put this serve on. But rather than saying, don't get robbed, or rather than saying, put this serve on, you're saying, don't get robbed as, and I know you can ace them. Don't let them take this opportunity away from you. I think even more than that, don't get robbed to me was, was always what we said in baseball. There was always the guy that would swing out of his shoes a little bit. And sure, he wouldn't always hit the ball. But when you're down 19-14, the goal is suddenly, hey, if you're going to hit a serve, let's make sure it's a, a banger. I don't really need it to be clean. We're probably going to lose this. So if you're going to put one on, you may as well give it a ride. Let's let's not get robbed here. Um, so I, I think that statements like that really give a partner an opportunity to play their own game and really feel confident that, you know, you want them to play their game. I, I come up with these all the time because I don't want to say things that are going to make them feel uncomfortable. Um, I'm looking for statements that will make them feel, feel good or, or statements like get me the ball when they're server seat, statements that encourage. I got a set for you, things of this yeah. line. I think yeah. I think that whole mentality shift is so important. So again, we're not trying to put pressure on our partner, but we're instead trying to, you know, encourage them. But, you know, you hear people all the time, you know, let's play, let's let's put it on or, you know, let's play defense. Even let's play defense, not as bad because it's like a positive as in we're playing defense. Like we want to play defense. But being like, hey, like, just put this on, you know, it's a negative connotation. It's, it's like, and now if they don't put it on, it doesn't just feel like they double forward like you would any time. It feels even worse. And then that pressure could build in the next time the ball's on their hand, the ball's in their hands. And you, I, yeah, I really like that mentality. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people would like to do more of that. They just probably haven't heard or are that aware of it. But you think in other sports as well, or even, I mean, in, in life in general, they try to say, you know, you get the opportunity to do, even if you don't want to do something, you get the opportunity to do it. And it's just very, very particular in how you choose your words. And it, I think they do make a big difference. Some people probably be listening to this like, oh, oh, just, you know, just say it, you know, just say it how you want to say it. But I really do think how you say things in that, you know, philosophical sense, especially regarding to mentality and sport does matter. Just as you mentioned there, don't get robbed, a positive mentality. Legendarily, Joel Graham was, was known for being the most warm partner you could play with. Joel Graham would be your partner and you would get aced and Joel Graham would apologize to you for having not prepared you that this person could hit this. You know, things that are completely out of Joel's control. Joel would make you feel like the pressure was never on you. It was always Joel taking care of you as a partner, um, which playing with Caleb Pack was, was perfect that year. Caleb was a younger player coming up and when he played with Joel, he played great. And you could really see this is a team that is benefiting each other, not in a round net way, but in a, a personal way on the field. I think there's a lot of value in it. So as, as opposed to kind of that talking between partners, what are the kinds of things that Frederick Hinkle says to himself prior to a serve or right before contacting the ball on, on second touch set? Like what, what do you, or when you're headed for a defensive touch, how do you talk to yourself and what kind of like, do you, is it special words you say? Do you have, I mean, is it, does it happen too fast or um, do you, you speak to yourself in a certain tone? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely Fred, um... get this ball. You're going to get yeah. it. Hit it hard. I think, I think generally whenever I'm playing defense, my thought process is, oh, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Um, that, that's generally my go-to. And whenever, whenever I hear that one in my mind, it's always like the spur. Be sure to get this one. Um, 
when serving, it's usually just making sure to let the ball fall and be low enough. Uh, sometimes I get excited and I'll hit the ball too high and that's going to be a lip every time. So usually it's just let it fall and then get that. That's me. Yeah. It, it, that self-talk is hard. Serving yeah. is very much just let it fall. Let the ball fall uh, ah. is my, my big go-to. You said, so you, you just said, just to link that back, you said earlier in the pod that, you know, sometimes you're not hitting serves early on in the day and you're having to turn that around. Is there a particular thing you do to change your mindset that then results in your serve percentage going up? Or is it just, you know, warming up, getting in the feel of the day? Or is there something that you actively, you know, think about or work on to try and, you know, get your standards up? Yeah, I definitely have a few mechanical changes uh, that I can implement on my serve. But from a mentality side, I really think it's just uh, hitting a bunch of serves off on a side net in between games, making sure that I've found the mechanic that's working for that day. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of different thought processes, whether or not I'm going to come down more on the ball when I'm serving, whether I'm going to swing across on it a little bit more. Uh, some days, some things work for me. Some days, some things don't. So it's just kind of explore a little bit, find one that I'm comfortable with, be ready to shift depending on the net that we play on. So I think that's so important for players to, to know that, that they, a lot of players assume that there's just one perfect way of hitting a serve and that'll work for both your reverse cut, your cut serve, your jam, your drop and all of that. But to have that kind of sensible second option where your mechanics can alter themselves just slightly, or you can stop thinking about a very like strict set of rules that you have to follow to get a particular serve on. I think that's kind of comforting to know that you think that way and that other players cannot have that pressure on themselves that if one, the one way that they know how to do it isn't working, that they can revert to something else. Do you have any other skills that you do that with perhaps hitting or do you just hit ball for, hard? No, certainly. Well, I think that one thing for me on hitting is uh, the philosophy that I always preached was hit the correct shot as hard as you can. And somewhere along the lines, that turned into hit it as hard as you can. And Atlanta really showed us that we were in the wrong space in that regard. So if you watch our shot selection from Atlanta to our shot selection in San Francisco, you will see completely different shots chosen. Um, and that was a very conscious effort on Rahul and I. And we noted that it did not necessarily work in pickup when we lost some of those games, local Texas teams. Yeah, there was one, there was one shot in particular. Again, I'm drawing back on the assistive touch game where uh, Buddy kind of hops into the open and pull shot. And then you end up just ripping a push that goes right outside his left arm. And he goes, that was a good one, Fred. You've been watching film or something? Because he, he literally hops, it's a split second into the open and shot and you hit it right around him. He said, I swear that would have hit my shoulder a week. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. These are some of the plays that I'm, I'm directly referencing. I, we, we sat there and we made a, an adjustment mentally because we, we played them last year in California and we got burned by the just hit it hard mentality. And when we went to nationals, we had made the adjustment. Frankly, in, in Dallas, our serving was just so strong that it didn't matter that they were getting touches on us. But in Atlanta, when we didn't have our serves and San Francisco, when we were serving decently, but not stellar, uh, it really came down to, hey, are we choosing the right shot or are we just ripping? And I, I think Max really reminded me a lot on this one. Uh, it's always good to have an individual that'll call you out uh, when you were making a mistake. And for me, that's that's largely Max. Max does a good job of that. Max Modell? Yes, yeah. On We've talked a lot about the game, the assisted touch. I think we should obviously talk a little bit more about it because well, it's the fifth time you guys have met overall, I think now, and the third time you guys have met this year with you guys now, obviously, if it was a... A three setter you'd be 2-1 up now and you'd have won the series I'm sure you guys will meet a few more times before the season's over 
But yeah, how was the final? Were you excited that you saw you get to play them again uh, in the final at such you know, a massive event, being the first major of the year? I am always excited to play Assistive Touch. Um, these, these games are so much fun. Like, I, I really cannot say just how much fun it is to play Assistive Touch. If, if we could play best of seven in the finals, I would, I would love to, because it would just be more games against Assistive Touch. Like, it, you never know when the craziest highlight that's ever happened is going to come. And to me, I feel like it's it's right around the corner playing games against them. So that that's my mentality. Uh, playing assistive touch, I, I enjoy it thoroughly every time. Uh, I get frustrated when I'm losing, of course, but uh, it's always an enjoyable experience. And then I get better as a player when I walk away and watch those games. That's yeah, I'm sure a lot of people that's good to hear, given that we're probably going to see you guys match up again before the season ends. So throughout the games, we're going to draw back on assistive touch versus double clutch in the finals. We had around that footage. Um, I in particular noticed a couple of little bantery fun comments between Mr. Frederick Hinkle and Buddy Hammond. So what, and, and it's not even like they're talking crap to one another. It's, it's almost, it's, it's kind of, you're just playfully throwing in a comment or a suggestion, but also kind of like downplaying slightly. So one of them was, uh, that was, that was a gentle swing said Buddy Hammond to Fred as he hit a ball straight over uh, Buddy and he, he didn't hit it. Fred didn't hit it the hardest. And so Buddy's remark was that was a gentle one. And it was just fun to see the interplay between you guys and kind of that dynamic and competitiveness come out without being rude. Do you have anything to comment on about that, Fred? Yeah, I, th I think that one thing that you you will hear it a lot when they start making up more nets is a little bit of sludging. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, I kind of didn't hit that ball just perfectly, and Buddy's going to let me know. I, and one thing that I think is funny about this is it's always the consistently, like the level-headed one on the team. Yes. So yep. it's, it's the consistent player that is generally giving the sledging for, for me and Rahul. Rahul gets, you know, excited and, you know, Clark gets pretty excited as well when the good stuff happens. So Buddy and I tend to seem to be, I don't know, I don't want to say like the leader of these individual teams, but when Travis played with Gabe, Travis was kind of uh, the mental leader of that team. And Travis would sludge you pretty hard. He would, he would rip into you. You know, you do anything that's not quite right. You're going to hear about it from Travis. And that's a long, you know, long, long tradition in every sport. Definitely round net, no different. I remember getting it from Chico whenever I played them years and years ago. And Chizik Showalter would do it in a different way with the silence and the kind of aggressive calling and the switch spots before the observer gives the call. So I, I think there's always been kind of this like opponent banter. Uh, I think it's it's always a good thing. It goes back to the discussion we had earlier where we're trying to make our partners, our partners feel best. And one way to make your partner feel really confident is to sit there and remind them that the other team isn't doing everything perfectly. Hey, that was a gentle one. We're also known as, hey, Clark, I'm going to get the next one. So I, I think that's, that's one thing that a lot of people don't really think about opponent talk. And I think a lot of people shy away from it, trying to be nice in the sport. But I think if you use it the right way, it's really for your partner. I think that's the, what you just hit. I think maybe some people have potentially thought about it. I just don't think people are very good at it. It's also somewhat a skill to be good at it. Um, and I'm not saying promoting this in any way, because it's not, I don't want 20 people or every, you know, everyone coming to the next game, you know, Frederick, oh, crap, what are you doing? <laughs> like there's a skill to doing it and how you do it. So, and if you do it wrong, it then just is a, you know, a negative spiral. You say there are these wrong things and you're trying to get into someone and you just, then you just sound like a jerk. You just lose credibility. Your partner's probably thinking, what are you doing, Fred? Shut up. And, you know, it's not working. So, hey, there's also somewhat, in, in a weird way, a skill to 
having that playful banter. Yeah, making sure that you play the line between playful and rude. You have mm. to have some sort of balance. I, m- I remember the first time that I ever encountered this encountered this kind of playful ban- banter was through, I think there's like an eight minute uh, clipped up footage from How to Round It where they had Joe Bondi in town and Preston was receiving Joe Bondi's reverse cut serve. And he goes, oh, that one was so easy. How did I miss that? That was so easy. And it's just such a, it's just such a, it's perfectly on the line. It's it's like he Preston believes in himself as a player and he's sure that he can get that ball. But at the same time, he's kind of downplaying Joe's reverse cut serve. And then kind of the expectation of the next one is that Preston would get it. But at the same time, he might also be in Joe's head so he doesn't choose to hit that. So I think that's something that ment- mental, the mentality and the playful banter is not talked about because I don't think that people a lot of people don't have the game to back it up. And I do agree with you when you say, Fred, that uh, it is commonly the mentally level-headed player that has to produce that. But I, I think uh, I think if more people did it in a subtle but kind way, I think it'd bring, a, bring the stakes up and uh, make it a lot more fun. We should experiment. So, what's that? I was just saying, especially if there's a mic on. Especially if there's a mic on. I think some of the favorite games that I've ever played were ones where I'm just playing against a couple of friends who are fairly new or not not the best at the sport and they they say hey let's put five ten dollars on it and then we talk crap to one another those are the best games in my mind and i have the most fun playing them even today but uh yeah i think adding a little bit of jabber in the game is always good and uh people test it out see if you enjoy it see if you want to talk five dollars on your next pickup game five bucks i guarantee you when you uh if you are a premier player and you make it to that round of 16 or that quarterfinals and you match up against one of the stronger teams somebody's going to say something to you and it it always it's always good to have a little bit of expectation that this is coming and a little bit of understanding that hey i've heard this before people have given me a hard time while i'm playing not mean spirited but that you know it's coming somebody's going to going to poke you a little bit yeah and say hey give me that serve that's the easy one when you hit rim or Give me that touch all day, all day. That's my touch when they make an easy touch. So, you know who does that actually? And now that I, th- I didn't realize he was doing it, maybe he's not doing it intentionally, but Thomas Hamilton says, yep, after he gets a touch. He goes, yep. And, and I, I was going to put a yep counter on the video because Thomas, I had a, had a mic underneath at, a, at the Club Spike Inventors Cup. And I, he said, yep, after every single touch, as if, I'm so confident about this touch. That's a good one. And guess what? After I got this first defensive touch, I'm going to put it away. Yep, yep, yep. Yep to the defensive touch, yep to the set, and yep to the hit. And it's always funny. You have to think you play against him, you get a defensive touch, and you are yelling. Yeah, yeah. 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 Give, give him a hard time. Normalize the yep. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I think we do need to talk a little bit about the stream, right? Not working. I know of, you know, people everywhere, like obviously, especially in Europe, being in Europe right now, that, you know, sort of gave up their Sunday, waiting till, you know, Sunday afternoon, waiting on the stream to watch this first massive major of the year with, you know, a stacked field, great games incoming. And, you know, again, unfortunately to say for this season, the stream wasn't working. Um, only two of the five events so far have been recorded. I mean, what's your take on in regards to being streamed? Do you ever feel the pressure knowing that you're going to be streamed at the events? Did you hear about the stream not working? Did it at all affect? I mean, you, you're going to, you know, you're filming the games anyway, and probably people are filming. But, you know, are you also disappointed from the fact that, you know, fans of yours, fans of Roundnet around the world aren't able to watch? 
you guys compete in such a high level game in such a high level event uh, with the stream uh, not working? I think for me, um, I think Spikeball does generally a very good job facilitating the sport. I think that the community expects a lot from them as Spikeball constantly professes uh, how much they value the sport, how much the sport means to the company. Uh, and as they do that, it, it really gives the community this perception that Spikeball will go to any length uh, to, to facilitate that. And it's really tough for them when they get to a field and they're like, well, we have no coverage here. There's an, I mean, what can you do? You get to a spot, there's no internet, you're, you're kind of just screwed. Um, it's, it's hard for them to know that ahead of time. And I, I kind of get that. I think it's disappointing. I, I would like there to be a solution to it and I hope they find one. I don't know what it would be um, personally. So I, I think it's disappointing, but I'm, I, I don't know that there's much they could do reasonably to prevent yeah. it. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's probably more on the disappointment side that people have obviously they've they've obviously hired Andrew Gassaway uh, on a full time and doing you know events logistic manager and streams done last year were incredible and obviously nationals was just incredible and just the streams that he's putting on is helping take the sports to the next level and build a platform and a storyline and again promote high level round net on a global scene. And you need to start somewhere, you know, you need to have these streams that people can watch, you know, follow people, follow the high level competition for it to grow. And, you know, with him being employed full time, I'm sure a lot of people were hoping and sort of expecting all tournaments or and especially majors this year to be streamed. So, you know, when they turn up to a field that doesn't have great internet connection or wide cable, I believe it was, um, yeah, obviously disappointing that so many people can't watch it. And I guess there's a very, if anyone, the, the person who's most disappointed of all of this is Andrew Gassaway because, you know, he's there driving that van. He wants to stream these events. He wants to like, in essence, do his job. But if, he's, if you don't have the equipment or the wide internet, I don't, I don't know what the solutions are. I mean, I don't know if there's routers and stuff you can do to improve your internet quality, but even then, I mean, if you're, if you're at a place where you absolutely have no signal, which I'm assuming some of these places have been, maybe a router or an external connection booster is not going to do it. And then, then I guess hopefully in the future, the, you know, internet connection location where they choose the venue is of a higher priority, even potentially if it, you know, extends the budget or increases the amount of money spike will have to pay for a venue because again we want this sport to grow that has to somewhat i don't know does it need to be a value to spike ball i'll say i'll say i think it's it would be nice if they do it i think that it's hard for them to know that the game is going to be in such a terrific position uh, at this point coming into the season spike ball doesn't know that we're going to get to the first major and we're going to see rally percent at 14 percent, which is the highest we've ever seen you know, the, I've never played in, a, in an environment where rally percentages have 14%. That's what it was in, in that finals. So it's hard for them to go into the season knowing that they should be streaming uh, this acutely and to have put this much emphasis on making sure that they have the internet set up for it. Because it could easily be nationals where a rally percentage is 2%. Yeah. They didn't know that we were going to get all defense all year and that they needed to be streaming. So. Yeah. I think even with it being a, even with it being a major, there's enough people to say, look, nationals are two percent, but still thousands of people join nationals. If you've got the same almost similar fields at San Francisco, with it being the first major of the year, um, that, yeah, very similar field at San Francisco and nationals, you're obviously get a lot of people that are prepared to watch. So yeah, I would. It's like imagine we have worlds later this year, and they're like they get there and like, oh, yeah, uh, we can't stream it, we can't film it. And we just have a couple of people have 
their mobile phones out filming it on IG live it's like like come on we're pushing for this sports be professional and like, like I again obviously appreciate everything Spike was doing for the sport like they're doing a huge amount and but it's like you've got this great asset in Andrew Gassaway who's streaming you know they have the equipment but that equipment's not being put to use we can't have a venue that has a strong enough connection either wireless or wired I can guarantee nationals will be streamed uh, live <laughs> and in beautiful 1080 60 from lovely Round Rock, Texas. <laughs> I don't doubt that. And also ESPN, if I'm pretty sure, right? That sounds good too. Yeah. But yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, yeah, I'm not too sure what else to say about it other than obviously just myself as well being disappointed. I guess one way is, did you guys see the, um, the Richmond recap that was put together? It will, instead of like the full games being posted on the, I mean, the full games are posted on Spiteball Tour Series, but then there was also a 17-minute uh, video made as like a recap of all three games that Nick Corrigan, a uh, video From Kyle Young? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the finals. Yeah, I saw that one as yeah. well. I, I thought that was stellar. So I, I, I'm just spitballing, but I mean, could it be, could it potentially be a situation where if we don't get the live stream, it would be worth potentially putting something similar to that? like that together in post-produced similar to disc golf do with jomez i mean live disc golf is very long and hours long same as a final can potentially be you know an hour an hour and ten three games if it goes to three sets could we potentially put a you know shorter version to take out the go and get in the balls take out the double faults and just a Frankly, mini highlight tape we have a mini highlight would... tapes go like you know i rider obviously done it with the semi-final and final is that possible to do that with most events if the stream's down this year I think obviously Ryder's not going to be at every event. So is that something Spiteball could potentially do? I personally would love to see more of what, um, I, I don't remember who did it from the French Roundnet community, but what we saw at Riga, that uh, mm, yeah, the Romanian no, tournament um, recap yes, was brilliant. Yeah, yep, yep I agree. Um, that was Yosha from Hustling Brothers, Thomas Juve from um, Le Juve, uh, also a French team. And I, if, I think there was a couple of others involved. So I'm, unfortunately, I'm not doing everyone justice, but. I mean, if they're listening, they know I'm brilliant. But no, carry on. I think I think last year we had this from Kentucky as well, cash the out. big Kentucky cash out video, and that was I think 45 minutes long. It was it was it's massive. Pretty good though. But but the thing that that really makes those videos cool to me, and that I like a lot of this is there are lots of people that want to follow this sport that don't have an opportunity to because they're not in the Facebook, they're not on the Discord, they don't really know how. Spikeball, you know, sometimes they post a cool rally on the Instagram, but otherwise it's just kind of, where do you where do you see it? And those videos do a great job of like, this is this team. This is where they're from. This is how long they've been playing together. They matched up against this team. It's their hometown rivals. They play all the time at home, and now they're playing here. Unfortunate for them. Here they are in the next round. They're playing this team from France. It's these two guys. And suddenly I know all of these people from the European scene that I've never heard of. And they know all these people from the American scene that they've never heard of. And I, I think those videos go a massive way in just pushing the legitimacy of the sport. The players just being like, I don't want to say celebrities, but but individuals that you can follow and root for. The only question in my mind is who is responsible for doing that? I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a, not a huge task as a matter of fact. I think that, so with Kentucky cash out, cause we were both there. Um, I think basically what gas, Gasway was there as well. He set up his laptop on a table. And then once people were done recording footage from their iPhone, they just airdropped it straight to Gasway's computer. And then later on, it was post-produced. I think it took a week or two to finish everything. And then boom, there was a full tournament recap. If there was 
one person on, on payroll or if one person wanted to start pushing the envelope with their content and creating recaps for whatever tournament they like and not playing, I think that it would be very successful. And yeah. I think that people following those storylines, the human brain latches to storylines. It's, it's, it's a fact. Um, people will, things are more memorable when there's a good guy, when there's a bad guy and when there's a story behind it and there's stakes involved. So I think that if someone started putting out that kind of content and made it more accessible to everyone, it would be a banger. It would absolutely go off. Exactly. Exactly what you both said. I mean, one, first of all, it's cool that you watched the Cluj recap video thread. Like I'm sure the people who obviously made it are very happy to hear that, you know, you've watched it and I'm sure many other people watched it. I don't know how well it's performing, but I'm sure a lot of people watched it and it's got good views because again, people want to stay updated with what's happening and again like you said how cool that people are watching it and wanting to like keep updated and they don't need to watch 40 teams highlight videos they can literally just watch a tournament recap and what they're doing is what's so important in round there is they are adding context and it's the context that people need to see and need to know you just see a rally or a highlight video it's like are you playing against people in the park are you playing in a tournament in europe how big is the tournament is it 10 teams is it 15 teams <laughs> You know, what, what is the, is the context? Is this final now, like in a little tournament in the middle of nowhere, or is it, you know, the biggest tournament that Europe's had, like adding context and adding that personability and, you know, the storylines is something I've been pushing for, for so long around that. Again, like I've always said, right, we need to make it as easy as possible for people to follow this sport, which is why obviously this streams whole situation, a big one for me, because I know people that want to follow the sport and it's just giving them the, po the possibility to do that. And I think what you just said there, Gavin, even if Spikeball don't do this, I could potentially see someone getting the three games that Spikeball Tour Series post and then making their own mini recap mm -hmm. of the three games. And, you know, getting a, here's, here's a 20-minute footage of game one, 20-minute footage of game two, 20-minute footage of game three, clipping them all down to three, four minutes. Hey, here's your 12-minute recap of the final. I'd watch that. I, I watch that every single week okay and that's me like i'm I sure watch it over sure. the stream to be honest yeah. hey shout out to kyle young kyle young has done all of them from this year he's going back through last year and doing all the streams from last year like his, his youtube is popping like i had no idea so, right? say the name of the channel kyle young yeah j-e-u-n-g it's on youtube and it's just okay. all of the streams condensed down from the finals um and i like going back to the kentucky cash out video that video is 45 minutes. It doesn't need to be a 45-minute production. Nope. It yeah. can be 12 minutes. It could be, hey, Wonky, can you send me the games from your quarters? Hey, Weissbike, can you send me the game from your round of 16? I'm just going to sit there. Hey, do you have a link for this? Oh, no link from this one. I'm just going to mention it tangentially. I mean, this can be yep. done really quick and dirty. It does not need to be some massively produced thing. I could, per frankly... If I had the time, I could sit there and go do it. It would just be, you know, more than I have the skills for. I'm not the world's greatest video editor, but <laughs> given the lack of double clutch highlight videos we've seen in recent months. <laughs> Attack me, sheesh. That's Rahul's job. Whoa. Yeah, I'm attacking a Rahul then. Uh, give the people what they want. Um, but no, that's it's a great, it's a great point. Like people want to see these and um yeah, those, these mini recaps, they're not that difficult to do. Hey, you send me a clip here. You send me a clip here. That's what they did for the European recap. They got everyone after the game. They said, hey, everyone, just clip a couple of points from each game. Just a couple of points. And then just send us it with a file and attach it. Then they had a Dropbox with, you know, a game from 
pretty much every game and they just chose which ones to select. I know how, if everyone just does a little bit, it goes a long way. And again, with this major not being streamed and we don't know how many tournaments throughout the season are going to be streamed given this, you know, uncertainty around the internet connection and wide internet events. People want to watch this sport. Let's try and make it easy for them. And if people want to do this, I mean, look, I know loads of people wanted to watch the HTR uh, game this weekend, right? They end up losing Twisted Touch in quarters. Um, loads of people wanted to watch that, but it's like, where is it? How is it? Oh, it was filmed on a phone on an Instagram live. It's like, where does it go after? Does it just stay on that page? Do people promote it so we know it's on that page? We just have this place where it's really easy. Everyone knows where it is and can follow it. And it's a three minute recap, but damn, I, you know, I love to watch it. But right now people are just like, I don't know where, or I have to, again, I have to go back to following 200 Instagram pages to know which one's going to be streaming this game. It's not the way to go. So yeah. I actually have a project that I'm working on. It's called Revised on Two, where I'm doing exactly what we're talking about right now. I'm going to start, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but how funny. No, I, I, I think I was going to that... say that would be an undertaking. <laughs> that would be crazy. He, he started it literally three minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just brought up the email address and have the Gmail for it, but I think right now we're in a position in the world where the attention economy is so saturated and that like regard, I think there was at least, I think there's Ben Dantowitz and then correct me if I'm wrong, but two others that were filming a stream on Saturday, right? Or Sunday. And, and then on top of that, we have the post-produced ones that come out by writer. And then later on, we're probably going to have the ones that come out by Gasaway on Spikeball Tour Series. So if there was just one go-to place for all of that, where rather than just posting every single little bit of it, we could have a storyline that people could follow. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be huge for everyone and whoever's doing it. Um, if you're an independent content creator and you're listening to this and you want a cool project and you've got loads of time and you don't mind sifting through round net footage that has, again, 14% of rallies, mm -hmm. yeah, you could potentially do really well with this. Um, I'd do it if I had time. That sounds great. Huge move. I don't know what else to say on the topic, but I think we've, I think we've hit the nail on the head in regards to that. Um, so last thing, Fred, before you're going to do the outro. But the last thing before you do the outro. You've, so far this season, right, unconfirmed finish at Orlando, quarterfinals in Richmond, win in Dallas, quarterfinals of the USA qualifier, win in San Francisco. So I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'm saying you're losing quarters at your next tournament. But hey, that's just my guess. That's just my think, guess. Are you going to prove me I'm, wrong? I think I'm playing with Ethan McCorder in Atlanta. So... See if I make it through the quarterfinals and I get to the semis, you have to think it's a pretty good day. Um, not to knock on Ethan. Ethan's a good player. He, I don't know that he's been in a quarterfinals at an STS event, so it will be an uncharted territory for him. Uh, yeah. Then I'll save my I'll save my prediction for the next time that you and Rahul play together. And I don't I'll like that. Get to quarterfinals, prove me wrong. Okay, I'm I'm happy with that. I'm well, even. We'll I'm even. I'm even prepared to put five dollars on it if you want it. Uh, I'll take your five dollars. Yeah, let's do it. That's the mentality I was looking <laughs> for. Let's do it. All right. Um, on that note, do you want to go a little outro? Thank you for joining us for this episode of that Roundup podcast. We weren't joined by Mike White from Lefty on Two today, but Gavin and Scott and I had a great conversation on mindset. I'm glad you all stayed tuned, and we're happy to join us. We look forward to seeing you at the next STS tournament, Atlanta. And on that note from Fred, thank you all for listening. Feel free to check out Fred on his social medias at frederickhinkle98, as well as the team doubleclutch underscore roundnet, which might motivate them to post once in a while again, as well as check out our profiles at 
Mike White round net, Gavin underscore round net, Scott Beaks underscore round net. And if you want to see more about the podcast, then feel free to check out at that round net podcast on Instagram. Thank you all for listening and see you guys next week.